What's going on, everybody? Welcome into episode nine of Cast a Podcast with Ronnie Moore. And today I'm going to talk about my recent travels. So, 2019, I didn't travel a whole bunch. I pulled back from tournament coverage a little bit on the water. I only covered one open, I didn't cover a college event at all. Uh, zero high school events. I, and I was I was the guy, you know, I was used to traveling a lot, covering opens, college, high school, and uh, even before my Bassmaster Live days, all the elites. So I was, I was used to traveling, doing all that stuff. And I pulled back a little bit in 2019. I had a little bit more responsibility in Little Rock that I needed to take care of. And uh, we got that all balanced out and figured out. But in order to not overwhelm myself with a, a crazy workload, I asked you know last year to, to pull back a little bit, and they obliged, and we we knocked out coverage the way we do. But in 2020, I was kind of a renewed fire and a renewed focus to kind of showcase all those levels of bass fishing that Bassmaster provides and that that we do well at, you know, and that's not, this isn't a bragging episode or anything like that, but I'm a product of the college series. I loved the product that we put out from 2011 to 2015, you know, uh, those years that I was in college, I loved it. And, uh, so I always wanted to give back and showcase those athletes, those anglers the best way I could in my own coverage. And so I'd always done that. Well, I pulled back in 2019, didn't do that. I mean, I don't know how many texts I'd get from guys to be like, hey, are you coming this week? And be like, no, I'm not. And they're like, dang it. And so like, I felt bad. And so I really wanted to bring that renewed fire and focus. And it was kind of like, I wasn't off work when I skipped out on them last year. I had other work to do, but I missed, I missed telling those stories. Those stories are really fun because they are big time events to these college and high school guys in the opens. They, they are pathways to the classic you know, a winner of the college series is going to qualify to go to the championship. And from the championship, he can make the bracket. And the bracket, he can make the uh, the Bassmaster Classic. So they're, they're stories that are worth being told. So I just got done with my first week or so of travel. And I got back a few days ago. I spent about 10 days on the road. And I covered the Carhartt Bassmaster College Series Tour event at Toledo Bend which is in Manny, Louisiana. If you've never been there, it straddles Texas and Louisiana. Um, and, it's, and it's not too far away. It's about four and a half hours away from Little Rock. And it's about an hour and a half from Shreveport, Louisiana. So to give you per, some perspective there, that's where Toledo Bend is in the world. And we had a three-day college event there to kick off the season. And then we also had a high school event and a junior event. Those high school and junior events, events, they fish on the same day. So when the college tournament finished up on Saturday, those anglers competed on Sunday for the high school and junior portion, and we crowned some winners there as well. So we were right there. Uh, I stayed at Sim- Cypress Bend Park uh, right there at the takeoff which is a great place to host a tournament. Cypress Bend Resort is where we had the meeting and the registration. And then we had uh, the takeoffs every day at Cypress Bend Park. And that's where we've always had the Elite Series takeoffs and whatnot. And to put that in perspective, it's it's nestled right there in a hot spot of Toledo Bend. Toledo Bend is a big, big fishery. And a lot of the untapped water is above the bridge. And the bridge is just slightly north uh, maybe a five minute, seven minute drive from takeoff to get to the bridge. And above the bridge is, I would probably call it, if we had to compare it, 
the south end of the lake is urban and and not developed but like the boat lanes are are fine-tuned the creeks there people know how to fish them they're more widely known the boat lanes are more widely known it's all more urban you're going to know more about new york city than you're going to know about another town that's that's more rural so i would say the north end of toledo bend would be considered more rural um the boat lanes are probably a little more scary the timber fields are less manicured and uh, a lot of it's a lot of uncharted territory people don't go up to that region of the lake as much as they do down south so with that being said uh, Cypress Bend is right there 15 20 minutes access uh, by boat to get to Housen Creek to get to six mile it's not too far away and those are the highly fished areas uh, on Toledo Bend so that's to give a perspective right there that bridge is kind of the not middle road but i'd say a lot of the fishable water that people compete on is below the bridge a lot of uh newer not newer areas but places that haven't been explored above the bridge um so with that in mind i decided to go out and do some coverage and i ran around to some guys that i knew where they'd be like it's very interesting i covered two of the top three teams after day one uh, on the water. I knew where they'd be. I had them share their location with me. I figured I would go cover them. There's some college fishing staples. You know, they're, they're teams that have been around and done well. So I was like, I'll start my season with them, tell some stories that way. And they ended up being in the top three after day one, which was really cool. And I was like, well, that couldn't have worked out any better. The crazy thing was I didn't see a single one of those teams catch a fish in front of me. So they had these big bags of fish, 17, 19 pounds of fish. Didn't even see them catch a fish in front of me uh, because one of them already had their job done. They already had their 17 pounds in the box. The other team had zero in the box and ended up catching them later. So it was an interesting, interesting event. So the weather for the week was cold. You know, you go down into Louisiana in January, early February, you expect it to be a lot warmer than it is in Little Rock or uh, Tennessee or anywhere north of those states. And it really wasn't. It wasn't warmer. It was like mid-40s, which isn't too bad. Mid-40s and day one, we had some rain. Uh, Day two, it was uh, the end of that rain front. So it started to get sunny. And so day two was a warm-up. You know, it was maybe mid fifties, maybe top, maybe hit sixty, and then from there it went. Uh, and the final day was warmer, um, a little slicker. You know, it wasn't as windy, and uh, it was a beautiful day on Saturday. So for the college event, if you don't know, Cody Huff and Dakota Pierce of Bethel University took the title. They had sixty pounds and seven ounces after three days of fishing. So sixty pounds, seven ounces, three days of fishing—that's a twenty-pound average. And uh, they were very rock-solid, consistent. Uh, their tournament over overall was just magnificently fished. I said it wasn't going to be a bragging podcast, but it, not bragging about the Bassmaster Tournament trails, but rather bragging. I'm, I'm going to lie about that a little bit. And it's going to be bragging about the guys who did well because it, it really impressed me to see the way they fished and to see how well they did and then to see how second and third and fourth and how diverse the the game plans were. So uh, for Cody and Dakota, man, 
they fished the best available cover at Toledo Bend in the winter time when the lake is five to six feet low. And you might be like, Ronnie, what is the best available cover? And in my opinion, it's those ditches, those creek channels, um, some of those deeper contour depths that don't get fished that much. I mean, they were fishing, they said on stage 20 to 60, but man, I'd say rock solid. They were in 40 to 45 feet of water most of their event, and they were catching fish that were suspended um, in that range. So for those who don't know Toledo Bend, it's drawn down. Most of the time it's low in the winter, four to six feet probably, uh, based on how dry the season's been and whatnot. Um, and so it's pretty. it's a pretty crazy fishery. Standing timber everywhere. For instance, like the last time I was there on the water in an elite event in, in that May time period, that April, May portion of the year, you couldn't see a piece of timber sticking up in the middle of the lake and you ran across it and followed lines and you didn't hit anything. It was all good. So when you see it four to six feet low and you see how many trees and how much timber is across the middle of the lake, it kind of makes you scared because you're like, I ran across that. When it was full pool, I ran across that. And it uh, it's pretty scary. But the boat lanes are pretty solid and uh, the mapping is pretty good on getting you where you need to go without getting hurt um, and being able to go and catch fish. So that's some perspective on what Toledo Bend looks like in uh, in the winter drawdown wise. There's zero grass at the lake uh, based on other things, high water maybe, uh, you know, high water with that dirtier water doesn't let sun penetrate doesn't let the grass grow maybe and then when it gets sucked down you know it dies or, or whatever and also people will say springs that you know people spraying herbicide on the uh, on the grass might affect it whatnot that's to be you know argued and debated I'm not that's not what I'm here for but you know whatever the reasons are there's zero grass on Toledo Bend meaning hydrilla and that offshore submergent grass that they're gonna fish you know, with a lipless crankbait or a vibrating jig, something like that. There's, there's really none of that. But when it comes to the, uh, the available cover, there's standing timber, there's, um, you know, some of those little drains and ditches, like we said, there's those flats that fish get on and whatnot. So there's a, there's a variety of ways to fish Toledo Bend, but it's not as obvious, uh, to people when they show up, you know, you're not going to, you're not exactly sure how you're going to do it. So Cody and Dakota fished a lot of those open water out in the middle, you know, maybe a hump that comes up to 30 feet, but it's, you know, 50 off the sides, uh, some ditches and whatnot that have a lot of water near them. It's kind of a, a different kind of fishing and, uh, but, it, but it's up their alley. They're from that Bull Shoals region. Even though they go to Bethel University over there by Kentucky Lake, they are, they are Bull Shoals table rock anglers. You know, they fish, they fish that lake uh, all the time. That's their home lake, you know, growing up. And that's what they fish when they go home. So they're totally used to that open water, spoon, um, schooled up, suspending fish, that kind of vibe. And boy, did they flex their muscles on those techniques. And uh, those guys caught them very well. Like I said, 20 pounds a day average. They went from 1911 on day one. They caught a 1913 on day two. Had about a three and three quarter pound lead 
going into the final day, and then they expanded that lead and went up to about six pounds after they caught 20 pounds, 15 ounces on the final day. So they saved their best day for last. Very rarely in all of tournaments in general do you see the winner's weights go from something on day one to getting better on day two to getting even better on day three. Very rarely do you see that, and even more so in the wintertime. This time of fishing, it is tough to stay on a group of fish all three days as they change. In Louisiana, if sun pops out, sometimes those fish are on the move and they're wanting to get shallower. They're thinking about spawning, so boom, they're in that mood. So when when you see a team follow them in that late winter, early pre-spawn time of year and they stay on them, it's so impressive. And I got to watch them vertically fish a small spoon. And when I say spoon, it's not a flutter spoon. It's not a magnum spoon. It's a jigging spoon. It's one of those you know, war eagle jigging spoons or a, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name of it. Uh, a Hopkins spoon. There it is. I remember like a Hopkins spoon. Um, one of those small jigging spoons that is just a hunk of lead and a treble hook. And, uh, it does a really good job of mimicking shad. So those guys just went around and looked for pods of fish on their graph and they dropped to them, jig it a couple times, catch one. They also had a cool lineup of an underspin and a swim bait, and uh, they would do that. You know, One of them was dropping with the spoon. The other one would throw the underspin or the swim bait out and kind of let it go down to the depth of the fish that they saw in their graph, wind it through that school of fish and try to get one to fire up. Oftentimes when they'd catch one, they'd catch two back-to-back, uh, whether it's, you know, the underspin and the swim bait got one, they'd, they'd boat it, put it in the net. By the time the guy's getting it unhooked, put it in the live well, partner's yelling for the net because he got one with the jigging spoon. So really unique to see it go down the way it did. Those guys cashed in and uh, knocked it out of the park. It was cool to see other techniques come into play, though. You know, the the if you've never been to Toledo Bend, the, one of the biggest baits around that neck of the woods is a Carolina rig. Um, If you go to Toledo Bend and don't throw a Carolina rig, you're probably losing out on catching as many fish as you could. There's a lot of fish getting caught on a Carolina rig all times of year. Um, There's probably billions on on the floor, on the, you know, at the depths of Toledo Bend. There's probably billions of Carolina rigs. And I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, it'd be interesting to note what maybe somebody's theory is of why, but I don't know if it's like the timber fields. There's so much standing timber that when they, they get so old and waves and boats hit them that they, you know, maybe crack and break and they fold over and drop to the floor, the bottom of the lake. And that Carolina rig keeps the bait just off the bottom, just slightly helps it from getting hung up as much. But then also those fish aren't going to be tight to the bottom always, you know, with with that timber being there. They're going to be right off the timber. They're going to be around. And one thing I do think is with as much vertical structure as they have, all that timber that stands up, those fish probably tend to move up and down on the cover rather than in and out on those flats and drops instead of going in and, you know, shallower to a drop or to a, to a rise or moving deeper to a drop or a flat or whatnot. Those fish might just stay where they are and go up and down on that timber. 
Uh, when they want to sun themselves, when they want to feed on some bait, when they want to hunker down, they go up and down on that timber. And then when it's time to spawn, that's when they make their one big all you know swooping motion and they go straight up to the bank and spawn. And then they can linger around the shoreline grass and whatnot that might that might have popped up during the warmer time period. So that's my theory on why a Carolina rig is really successful there. Um, I know at High Rock Lake in North Carolina, where I one of the lakes I grew up on, a Carolina rig was big. There's a lot of stumps and kind of decayed wood there as well. A lot of rock and shell too. So I think a Carolina rig is a great bait. It's a great bait there. So I know that's probably one reason why. It's also clay i'd say a lot of high rock is clay that a good old north carolina clay and i'd say toledo bend has a bunch of that clay um mud type bottom compared to sand and hard bottom a lot of it's probably softer a lot of it's probably that clayish type uh siltier deal um there's probably sound contrasting but i'd say probably that goes from clay to silt and I would say that that weight on the bottom keeps that, you know, in that that line, that uh, leader, keeps the bait off of the clay and out of the silt. Those fish don't have to get all that dirt in their face when they're trying to feed and they can stay off that. That's a little bit of a soapbox, a little bit of a rabbit hole that I went down there. But I think that's why, you know, maybe a Carolina rig is so effective there. I'd love to know your thoughts on, on what you think. If you fish Toledo Bend and know why, I'd love to know. Uh, what your take is on that. But I'd say if you go to Toledo Bend and don't throw a Carolina rig, you're missing out on fish that you could be catching. And uh, we saw a lot of teams doing that. We saw second place throw a Carolina rig. We saw third place throw a Carolina rig. And one thing that's interesting with the the ETBU, so East Texas Baptist University finished second. They had a square bill deal in the morning fishing shallow and they would fish and get their limit and then they'd go head up north and they'd fish, you know, isolated structure. They'd fish a specific tree or a specific stretch, um, you know, a stretch of trees to maybe get their kicker bites. And they said that there's a there's a couple key trees that they'd catch two or three good ones off of. They'd hope for one, but if they caught two or three, they'd have a bigger bag. And we saw that on day two and they had a 19-pound bag. And then they had an 18-pound bag on day three. So those guys had a had a dual pattern there. They did it above the bridge, which was unique. They were one of the one of the teams above the bridge that did well. Then we had third place Tanner Ward and Rory Franks from Kent State, some good old Ohio boys. What's really interesting is Tanner fished at Toledo Bend in 2018 when we had the college series event there the same month. He had 17 pounds for two days of fishing. He had like seven fish for 17 pounds and finished in the 70s for two days of fishing and this year he had 17 and change after day one so if you don't think these college boys pick up on their mistakes or what they learned and when they go travel and they fish out of their comfort zone they fish some new lakes for the ohio folks they went down to toledo bend maybe struggled their first year 17 pounds for two days of fishing they had 17 on day one and they ended up having 53 pounds and change for three days of fishing so Pretty cool to see them uh, make those adjustments and do that. They were fishing about as slow and methodical as they could on about two spots, fishing a Carolina rig, fishing a, probably a Texas rig worm as well, just almost dead sticking it, just as slow as they could. Once they got around that structure, they would they would drag it through there and they'd keep it uh, keep it in the strike zone as much as they could. They had a great final day. 
they had nine, uh, they had 20 pounds as well. There was two 20-pound bags on the final day. Cody Huff and Dakota Pierce had one of them. And then Tanner and Rory had the other. And they did so uh, in a flurry. They caught a good number of fish in the morning. And they had about 13, 14 pounds. And then they, uh, they had an afternoon flurry where they culled from 14 pounds or so up to 20 pounds. And so that was some big-time culls by them to keep their name in the hat. And then they, uh, they obviously finished in the podium spot, third place there. Great event for them as well. It was cool. And then we saw, saw uh, Ethan Shaw and Thad Simmerly. Thad Simmerly with one M, if you're interested. I spelt it with two Ms during the event, and I apologize to him when I caught myself. But Thad Simmerly with one M from uh, Bryan College, so some another Tennessee school, another scholarship school. They finished fourth, I believe, and they were second after day one. Interesting fact about them, they had the biggest bag on day one, but they had a two-pound culling penalty. So they dropped down to 18 and three quarters, and they were in second place after day one. They had a small hard spot, very unique, small hard spot, a lot of boat pressure around them, and they were cranking it. They threw, you know, like a DT6, cranked up some fish from there. They also threw, you know, uh, some spinning rod applications and also like a jig. Um, so those guys maximized a hard spot on day one. Day two, it was a little bit of a drop-off. They had 12 pounds or so, and they had to run to a community hole to fill their limit and do their deal. Um, so that that spot definitely took some pressure on day two, and it didn't yield what they wanted. Day three, they roll up with only uh, 12 boats or so going out. They were able to catch them pretty good and uh, jumped back up into the top five to end their event. Um, those guys made the championship at 10 killer and did well, finished in the top 12 at that event on the final day in 2018. So they finished fourth, I believe. And then Ty Cox and uh, Fisher Overton, those guys uh, from Blue Mountain College in Mississippi. Ty is a guy who's been around college fishing for a lot of years now, and, um, and he's done well. So to see him doing well was a good thing. You know, he's, he's, put in the time and put in the work and uh was doing well had a had a good offshore spot he was cranking up some fish throwing a drop shot on some fish and maximize that he also was above the bridge and uh it was good to see him catch him on day one i think he had 16 and change i got to cover him on day two or he had 17 pounds on day one 16 and change on day two and then another good bag on day three to stay in that top five uh range so a great event at Toledo Bend. A lot of different techniques that I just covered there. We had some Carolina rig, slow fishermen. We had some shallow square billing. We had some deep cranking. We had some shallow cranking. We had some spoon fishing. And uh, really a good variety of styles from all over the country that, that were implemented at Toledo Bend. And that kind of translated into the high school event. And the high school boys who won, I, I went out there and watched, and it was like tough. I was like, man, it's going to be a tough day. 15 pounds will probably win it. Well, I wasn't too far off. 15 got second, third, fourth, fifth, it seemed. There was a bunch of 15-pound bags there at the top. But 18 pounds and change took the title for the high school event. And uh, those guys did it in two feet of water on a chatterbait. And they, like, stole my heart. 
when they said that on stage. I'm a big time bladed jig fan. And when they said they caught him in less than two feet of water on a bladed jig, I was like, my man, at a boy, guys. And they had a they had a six and a half pounder, I believe, which helped them. There was actually a ten and a half pounder caught by one of the high school teams. The second place team only had three fish for fifteen pounds, with one of them being a ten pounder. That was super cool to see them catch a 10-pounder. I've never caught a 10-pounder. Uh, I got to see two 10-pounders get caught, one of them in the high school event this year and then one of them in the college event in 2018 at Toledo Bend. So that place puts out some share lunkers. So we got to see a 10-and-a-half-pounder get caught this year. Happy for those kids. And uh, so it was really unique how the lake was seemingly – Great on day one, had a tough day two for the college event, except for Cody Huff and Dakota Pierce. They kept they kept pace. Day three, there was an explosion with two 20-pound bags and a couple 18-plus-pound bags, uh, some good weights there. And then day three, or day four, technically, of fishing would be day one of the high school series. And there wasn't, I mean, it was, you know, they're younger anglers and whatnot, but 18 pounds to win it. You would have thought after the way they caught them Saturday for the college event that it would be even better, but they were getting more dialed in for those college guys and whatnot. So 18 pounds was a respectable weight for the high school and uh, and then 15 pounds and change, which was interesting. Some guys had five fish for 15. Some guys had three fish for 15. It was interesting how the quality was mixed in there. So great event there. The junior, junior anglers also fished, and uh, it was cool to see those young kids get a chance to do that. Um, then... I went from that event to a media event at Gros Savant. Never been there in, in that Lake Charles region of Louisiana. A beautiful place for hunting, for fishing, for just lodge life. If there's anybody who loves hanging out at those fishing and hunting lodges, eating good food, eating great food, hanging out with some good folks and telling fishing and hunting stories, that's the place to do it. Fittingly enough, there were some guys there that were strumming a guitar and singing um, some guests at Gross Savon that, that night that we were there, one of the nights that we were there. And it was cool to, to experience that stuff. So some good, um, some good transition from Toledo Bend to there. Gross Savon's a fantastic fishery. Got to catch them doing a lot of different things. It was 40 something degrees and they were biting, you know, they, and they weren't, what was crazy was we caught plenty, caught good ones as well. And, they were like, yeah, and it's not even, they're not even biting that good. And and we laugh, but there have been amazing, you know, Dennis TJ is one of the guides down there. He's a former elite series pro. And he was saying, yeah, I've had like, I've caught 230 fish in four hours before. And we've had them, you know, marked on a little clicker. And I'm like 230 fish in four hours. That is absurd. And so we're, we're like, scoffing at 50 fish in four hours. And I'm like, 50 fish is amazing. And then that they've had moments where there's 230 fish in four hours. So incredible experience there with the Strike King folks, the Elite Series pros that were there and other anglers and whatnot. Fun time with them. And, you know, that was uh, it was a good nine or ten days. I was glad to be home. A lot of travel in between there and uh, just some good times, some good memories. Good start to the year. That'll roll into this week's uh, Elite Series kickoff at the St. John's River in Florida. So great times there. And, Man, the the next part that I want to talk about is kind of the state of youth fishing. We'll just call it youth fishing. And when I talk about youth fishing, I want to talk about 
the college and high school series and getting people involved in fishing. And um, so I'm kind of going to jump into that and, and kind of go in depth in what I think and what I've seen progress from when I was a, a young in fishing college to now and to see the positives, what we need to do going farther, you know, further in the future and uh, really some of the awesome testaments uh, to college fishing and what, what high school and college fishing have done for not only the sport, but the industry as a whole with, with workers and whatnot. So one thing I think is uh, the participation factor has gone up incredibly uh, to, to levels that we haven't seen uh, many sports get to, if we're being honest. The growth that bass fishing has taken on at the youth level over the last five years has been pretty incredible. So I graduated from East Carolina in 2015, and that was my last year of fishing. Um, and I got to see those field sizes start to balloon more. Like my first college regional for Bassmaster, there was like 80 boats uh, at Lake Norman. I think I got sixth place in that one. And then by the time I uh, I finished it out. I think the last wild card we had that I competed in, there was like 160 boats or 170 boats, something like that. There was a bunch of boats. And uh, most of the regionals to that point were getting to be uh, pretty populated. I mean, I think that we had each regional would have 120 to 140 boats minimum. I know the southern regionals uh, would always have more because of the 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 participation that those um, that those regions have uh, just so many colleges, so many anglers that want to fish and, and go pro. So of course there's going to be a lot more participation. But uh, location being you know set aside, these tournaments have gone from one dayers to two dayers to now for the Bassmaster you know events they're they're three day events, and I think that is shaped the future of the sport in terms of of preparing the kids and the young anglers for the next step you know Bassmaster opens are three days and elite series events are four days and the classic is three days so these college regionals and, and championships that are three days long that you don't have to just you can't just be on fish for a day and like survive you know you've got to be prepared multiple days have multiple patterns in case something falls through. And I think that is equipping the younger generation to be better, to think outside the box, to, uh, you know, fish off instincts a lot and whatnot. So I think that that is a huge positive. And I'm personally, I've always been better at two or three day events than I have at one. Um, because let's face it, like if you have a one day tournament, you've probably got to have 20 pounds to win that event, no matter where it's at, you know, like somebody's going to have upper teens, close to 20 pounds, if not over 20 pounds to win a win one day event. So for, for college events, you got to be dialed in when the, when the, you know, the first boat is called. Whereas when you have a two or three day event, you can catch them pretty good, but you can manage them. And I think that that's one thing that college anglers are getting better at is managing fish. But I would remember, you know, yeah, 20 pounds might be leading, but if you had 15, two days in a row, you'd be within, you know, three or four pounds of the the lead going in the final day. And that is all the striking distance that you could ever ask for is to be within, you know, a fish of the lead going in the final day. That's what you want. So I think that that's, that's a, a way of 
going about it and looking at it, but by all means, you still have to have that 20 pounds. And nowadays, you got to have 20 pounds a day, like we saw with Toledo Bend and Cody Huff and Dakota Pierce catching almost 20, both two days in a row, and then catching almost 21 and, and averaging out to 20 a day. So that's one thing that I've seen that's uh, been impressive. Those field sizes as well. I talked about it. I was like, man, back in the day, we thought it was like a jam-packed field when we have 110 boats. And then I kid, you know, I made a joke and said, well, yeah, but out of those 110 boats, half of them were elite series pros now. And and so that's the, that's the uh, funny thing about it. You know, those field sizes were maybe a little smaller, 100 boats, 110 boats. But probably, to be honest, if we look back through, there's 30, 30 guys who are touring pros, whether it was on the FLW Tour or the Bassmaster Elite Series or uh, with Major League Fishing, there are 30 to 40 uh, guys that are making uh, making it, you know, day-to-day, paying their bills with bass fishing, and so that's unique and interesting, um, but now when you have 250 boat fields, uh, it's really exposing all levels. There are probably a good chunk of guys that want to fish professionally, and that's why they're fishing college. That's a good stepping stone. But then with 250 boat fields, you've got kids fishing their first ever tournaments, getting their feet wet in college. And I think that that's awesome to have that balance there. And they're getting exposed to high level competitions and uh, practicing in the elements and not just sitting in the hotel when it's nasty out. Like, if you're in the hotel when it's nasty out, there's 190 to 200 teams that probably went out and are braving it every minute of the day. So if you're not out there, sometimes you're losing uh, losing ground on the competition. So that's one other aspect of it is, is the amount of pros that have came from it. Um, we've seen some of the brightest stars in the sport over the last few years. You know, Jordan Lee winning Bassmaster Classics, Justin Atkins winning Forestwood Cup, uh, you know, Jake Whitaker winning Rookie of the Year, Drew Cook winning Rookie of the Year, Patrick Walters competing for wins and, and having to battle uh, Drew Cook last year. I mean, just on the elites right now, I'm going to try to list them off off the top of my head. But Brandon Card was the first one from the College Series to fish the elites. So we got Brandon Card, we got Brock Mosley, Drew Cook, Patrick Walters, Mike Huff, Jake Whitaker, Shane LeHue, Brandon Cobb. Um, trying to think about some others. We got Garrett Paquette. He went to Schoolcraft College in Michigan. He actually created his own team and did that. Guys like Kyle Monty fished a few events when they were in community college, and he was in in Florida doing that. Um, Clint Davis went to Montevallo. Um, I had already mentioned Brock Mosley. He went to Ole Miss. Tyler Rovette, Nichols State. Uh, a lot of these guys are coming out, and, and if anybody's listening to this and I didn't mention you, I apologize. It's not. I'm doing it off the top of my head. But um, a lot of these guys are not just from the college series. They're from the college series over the last five years, over the last four years. So it's pretty neat to see that. And along those same lines, uh, a lot of people working in the industry came from college fishing over the last five years. Uh, me, myself included. You got guys like Brad Rutherford with Pure Fishing, uh, Luke Stoner with Dynamic. There's a lot of guys. Garmin's got uh, quite a few. Brad Kimry, one of the guys who started the East Carolina team, uh, where I went to school. He works with Garmin in, in a capacity because um, they have all those different divisions with a lot of these electronics companies. But You've got all kinds of people working with Humminbird and, uh, you know, Minn Kota, all those companies. So 
a lot of different people have came from college fishing and made a career, whether it's casting a lure or creating a lure or talking about a lure. A lot of people have made a, a career out of it from the college series and, and high school, you know, the trickle down effect there as well. And uh, we've got plenty of guys in the opens that are that are from the college series that are on their way. You know, they're on their way uh, to making it to the big league. So that is, those are all positives. Very good things. High school, I haven't even touched on that yet, but one year, I, I can't remember, it might be 2018 because I didn't cover the uh, high school championship in 2019, but in 2018, there were 337 teams at the national championship for high school. That is the national championship. That's like the smallest field you're going to get. You know, everybody's qualified for that, and they've done so as the top 10% of the teams in the nation. So if 337 teams qualified and it's basically the top 10%, means over 3,000 teams tried to qualify for the Bassmaster High School Championship. That is crazy. So that is that that there is a testament. There's guys like Grayson Morris, Tucker Smith, who were Grayson's at Montevallo now in college and Tucker's uh, still in high school. But those guys won back-to-back championships, and we've seen guys like Bo Browning do well and go from high school to he's not even in college yet, and he's already fishing the Opens as a boater, testing his luck there. So there's a lot of good things coming out of high school. And one thing that people often say is we need to grow the sport. We need to figure out how to grow the sport, get more kids involved, grow the sport. And sometimes I roll my eyes at that, not because I don't want to grow the sport, but because I don't know if they realize what they're saying because – the sport has already been grown for the older anglers and I'm going to rag on them. I mean, I'm like, I don't want to speak out of turn, but there's, there's guys that are saying that stuff because they have no idea that the sport has already grown. They're saying that as if we need to keep growing the sport. And I agree. We can always keep growing the sport, make it bigger, make it more inclusive, make it better, make it more profitable for everybody coming up the ranks, but we don't need to grow the sport anymore. And I say that as we've already grown it. It's already huge. Now I feel like we're in the we're in the management stage. We have grown the sport to big numbers, and now we need to figure out how to manage it so it does not, you know, fold up on itself with as much participation and as much demand as there are for tournaments at the high school, college, and now junior level. We need to figure out how to manage it. And I think that Bassmaster's doing a, a good job of managing it. Um, because I know of our system a lot, you know, a lot more. You you don't want to have to cap the event. I'd love to have 320 boat college events. That would just show off how many boats we could pull if we really wanted to and whatnot. But capping it is important to, for the fisheries that we're going to, keeping those lakes and rivers uh, as as competitive as possible. You know, you don't want a lot of pressure over and over every single weekend. Um, and you want to also keep it manageable where you can still fish other lakes. You know, when those fields get so big, it might end up making you fish only a handful of lakes because they can hold that boat uh, capacity. So I think there's ways that we can manage it. I think there are a lot of great sponsors like Carhartt, Mossy Oak, uh, Bass Pro Shops, things like that that have gotten involved with college and high school fishing, Academy. And they are creating uh, funding and able to 
to get some of these, you know, teams' paydays and whatnot, and the exposure, that's where I come in and whatnot, and Bassmaster comes in with our media platforms, is getting the exposure for those teams so that the ones that are clubs can become scholarships or the ones that are clubs can become fully funded by the universities. They see the value of our team got sixth place in a national event with Bassmaster, and that's better than our football, basketball, baseball teams have done in years you know things like that obviously you're not going to have the ticket sales or whatnot from fans watching the fishing team but you can have the exposure of ESPNU those things are still valuable and I think that a lot of the college guys are seeing that and they're finding ways to maybe be valuable to their to their schools and I think that they're I will hand out a, a kudos to a team like Carson Newman uh, Hunter Sales is the coach there, and he fished in college as well at Carson Newman. And I thought it was I thought it was crazy when Hank Weldon said, "Hey, we're going to have a college regional at uh, Cherokee," and I'm like, "Awesome! What school's going to host it?" And he's like, "There's a school named Carson Newman right there in Jefferson City, Tennessee." And I'm like, "I've never heard of that school in my life." And he's like, "Oh, they just started a team. There's like, you know, they have they have two or three boats with you know four or six anglers." And Hunter Sales was one of them, him and his partner Tristan. And Hunter has taken it upon himself to not only just continue to fish throughout college, and now he's done, is uh, to become a coach there. And now he's got a whole roster of freshmen and sophomores that are now fishing, and he had multiple boats there. I think some of those things are interesting in the way that they are like supporting companies in the industry with their social media initiatives and different things. And what's cool is his his perspective on he was just in the college series. He sees the value of the ones who've been in the college series and are now in the industry. And he's like teaching the anglers at Carson Newman how to speak on stage, what to say, what to how to just be brutally honest and how to take it on the chin when they don't catch them or how to be gracious when they do catch them and confident. And I think that that's really cool. It's not just, hey, here's a couple bucks in a hotel room, go fish this event, but rather, hey, I'm going to be there and I'm going to take videos, I'm going to take photos of you and I want you to represent yourself well. I think there's a lot more colleges and coaches out there that are getting wise to that stuff and, and there are coaches that will do it their way because they've been you know, at the top of the college sport for a while, you know, Bethel Universities, the Bryan Colleges, those guys like that, uh, you know, Gary Mason and Mike... Um, Coach Mike Keen, all those guys, even uh, John Ridner at uh, McKendree University, those college teams that have scholarships have been doing very well for the last few years because they, they've given their kids a structure to compete under, and those kids have showed their skills. Not saying if you go to a scholarship school that they're going to train you how to be a Bassmaster Elite Series pro, but they're going to give you a structure. And even though kids will act like they don't want a structure, we, we desire, you know, Young anglers desire a structure knowing, hey, this is taken care of, that is taken care of, all I've got to take care of this is and that. Okay, we've got to figure out this process. What time are you getting off the water? What time are you getting on the water? Those types of things, we desire that. And uh, I think those colleges and universities, that's the biggest thing. They're not teaching them how to find spots or anything like that. They are letting those kids do what they do best, and they're just giving them a good structure. So, A lot of good things have came from college and high school, and a lot more good things will be coming from college and high school with the bracket champions going to the Classic consistently and guys like that getting a chance at the Opens. I think that that's still a fantastic 
opportunity and I think it's it's something we all desire. We just want a chance. We want a chance to compete against the best in the world on the biggest stage to make a name for ourselves. And so everybody wants that chance. The College Series has provided that. And I think that uh, high school's getting there and whatnot. And we just have to figure out how to manage it. So there's no issues. There's no nothing. I don't want this to sound like a PSA, like something's wrong. There's nothing wrong. We just have so many competitors coming up through the ranks that you don't want to mismanage it and it end up exploding or it end up, you know, backfiring or a lot of things just get hectic and, and a lot of different opinions. I think guys like Hank Weldon and John Stewart deal with these national programs like the Bass Nation, like the high school and college series. And I think they have a good head on their shoulders on how to handle those things. So I think managing college fishing and high school fishing over the next three or four years is going to be the most important thing to keeping the growth continuing because it's going to keep growing. I mean, they're going to continue to make baits. They're they're going to continue to host tournaments and there's only going to be more people that are going to find that competitive deal because they're starting to realize that, hey, I used to play high school basketball. I used to play, you know, high school football, but I'm not going to do that in college. But one thing I can do is what I love to do on the weekends and that's fish. So now I can do it at a high level and hey, I can make a career out of it. Fantastic. So I think that that uh, fishing is becoming a lot more appealing, and and I know um, I love covering it, and I love displaying what the sport's all about. So that's the biggest thing going forward for me. I feel is we have a huge bubble. If I could compare college and high school fishing to a bubble, it is a it is a big bubble, and if we put too many people in that bubble, we could end up you know it could end up popping. So management now is uh, very important. I feel. I feel like that that's what we've got to dial in on. And I think that that's what we've started to do with these field size caps, different initiatives like that. Um, and then also some of the directed campaigns from these companies are, are targeting those, you know, the audiences of high school and college anglers. So college fishing is probably, I'm going to say never been better participation wise. Now we all are, we all are going to say that, oh, we're we had the best couple years of college fishing compared to the guys now, whatever, you know, those kinds of thoughts, but everyone's going to do that. The older generation elite series pros thought that they, you know, that it was harder back in the day. And the ones who are fishing now think it'll be harder than it will be in the next couple years. So everyone thinks that their years are the best years, but I think that honestly, there's a lot of good things to look at the history of Bassmaster high school college and, uh, to see what worked and what was, what did well and then to see how they can make it better and then injecting uh, different angler opinions and thoughts and whatnot. So fantastic start to the year. Uh, couldn't have been more impressed with the how the field anglers caught them at Toledo Bend and how Cody Huff, the bracket champion from 2019, will represent in the Opens and the Classic and the College Series this year. I think that that's going to be a great thing as well. So college fishing is alive and well so is high school fishing and it's only going to get bigger we just got to figure out how to make it better and manage it um but man i'm so proud to be a part of those ranks coming up and and i know i wouldn't have the opportunities i have now with bassmaster on a professional level and a career level if i hadn't been for for the competition aspect of the college series when i was in school so big shout out to all the people who created college fishing and and pushed it when when no one was talking about it and the efforts going forward that even if no one is competing with Bassmaster to garner like let's just say no other leagues had 
had college series except for Bassmaster, I have full confidence that we would continue to try to make it better and better, even if anybody, nobody else was pushing us. So when, comp- when competition comes in, it only makes it better for the participants. So we will see how it goes, but super happy with the path that college fishing and high school fishing is on. So that was the episode of the podcast, episode nine in the books of cast a podcast with Ronnie Moore. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Give me some topics that you want to listen and talk about. Um, if you'd like to be on the podcast, send me a DM on Instagram, Ronnie Moore Bass, and uh, we'll figure out how to make that happen with whatever topic you want to talk about. So that was it. A good good episode, about 45 minutes worth of, uh, of podcast with college and high school and my first week traveling. I'm super excited to be back on the road some, but man, if you're listening to this, the Elite Series season has kicked off. It is... Uh, the St. John's River time down in Palatka, Florida. I'm excited about that. If you are listening to this and missed episode eight, go back and listen to my fantasy fishing picks. You have until basically, I would say Wednesday at midnight to set your team because you don't want to forget and uh, not set it before they blast off. So set your fantasy team, jump in, get some prizes and watch Bassmaster Live Thursday through Sunday. It'll be 730 to 10.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 to 2.30 Eastern Time with Facebooks in between and at the beginning. So join us there. We'll see you.